as we reach for our Bibles, would you use this time, Lord, to encourage and strengthen us? Father, would we just um, sit still before you, have ears to hear, and tender hearts to receive the word. Bless Matt as he opens the word and as he shares the message that you've given him today from your word. Use it well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, everything has changed. We are living in a world that openly worships wickedness, enjoys evil, delights in debauchery, and is enamored and intoxicated with immorality. Nothing is as it once was. Our world, our country, our county has changed. Self-exaltation, self-gratification, open rebellion against all that is right and rampant perversions of all that is true is the current climate of our culture. Yes, it is undeniable that our world, our country, and this county is circling the drain of self-destruction at an exponential rate. Our country has not simply redefined life with murder. It has not simply redefined marriage with homosexuality. But it has primarily and most assuredly rejected God and replaced him with Satan. We live in perilous times. Nothing is as it once was. Everything has changed. And yet, at the same time, nothing has changed. Think about it. Evil has always been among us been around us and even within us. One only needs to consider how God destroyed the entire world and everyone in it lest one family because of rampant wickedness. Contemplate the horrors of child sacrifice that was a regular event at idol worship when they would lay living children on the burning arms of an altar to a false god like Baal. Think for a moment of the terror that swept through the streets of Bethlehem as Herod ordered his minions to go kill all of the boys two years old and younger. What about the persecutions of Christians down through the centuries in the lion's den, on the cross, and being used for sport even being used for candlesticks to light the garden of Nero. Problems, peril, persecution, difficulties, trials have always been with the believer 
who seeks to live a godly life for the name of Christ. Like you, I have been praying. I have been meditating. I have been frustrated. And I have been encouraged over what I'm seeing across our country. I want us to turn to a passage of Scripture this morning to find courage in the midst of chaos. I want us to turn to a passage of Scripture to give us clarity in a culture of uncertainty. You see, because while everything has changed around us, yet in reality, nothing has really changed. Think about the testimony of Noah and the world in which he lived. Think about the reality of David, who had to stand and defy the full Philistine army all by himself because everyone else turned away and would not stand up for the one true God. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. Think about his three friends that would not bow the knee. Yes, everything has changed and yet nothing has changed. What about Peter and Paul? What about our Lord who was crucified on a cross when he did nothing wrong? Dear loved ones, we are at a crossroads. We are at a crossroads of critical decision, not simply and not only and not primarily in the lives of our leadership of our country. I'm not thinking of a president or a government. I'm talking about you and me. We stand at the crossroads of decisions that will impact your life. And I love seeing all the children here this morning because here's the reality. Will impact their life most assuredly. The fight we wage now will impact their life greater than anything else. What am I talking about? What is our greatest need that we need in our world right now? What is foundational to our response to this wicked reality that permeates our world? There are many things we can discuss. There are many things that are needed. There are important meetings and and study that needs to be done and preparation that needs to happen. My response... And my time with you this morning is not oversimplified. But I dare say that what we need and what we're going to look at this morning is foundational to our response. You see, we need to be more than ever a people, a church marked by courage. If there was ever a time to have courage, it is now. The problem is our world has distracted, redefined and disillusioned us to what real courage is. Matter of fact, if we polled the audience and asked people to stand up and give us a definition, I guarantee you it would, be, it would permeate with some shoot 'em up hack 'em up Hollywood style of prideful bravery. Yet is that biblical courage? Is that what we see marked in the life of Noah? Is that what we see in the response of Jeremiah? Is that what we see in the humble service of Isaiah? Absolutely not. See, we need to see this morning and we need to hear that this time we're facing is a call to courage. We need to understand 
that we are all, every single one of us, husband and wife, father and mother, single, married, young and old. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are at a crossroads. What will you choose? You're at a crossroads. You can go to the left and you can have cultural capitulation where I will cave into the cultural devices, demands, and delights of my world. Or you can go to the right and you can have doctrinal compromise where I will let go, where I will loosen up, where I will not be as clear for the sake of tolerance and peace. Or you can stay the course You can stay in the middle of the road and you can move forward in faith and face your fears that are the same as mine and everyone else who is honest. You can move forward in the face of fear with faith in God, with a resolute determination and a decisive decision to not back down on what God has called us to do and be. That is biblical courage. And that is what we will see in our text this morning. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. This passage, at its primary emphasis, at the divine message in this narrative, this story, this paragraph we're going to look at, it is courage. It is not ultimately about the commissioning of Joshua. That has already happened back in Numbers 25. You can read about it in Deuteronomy this is, this is after that. He is commissioned in his first day on the job, so to speak. But this text is ultimately about God encouraging a man who needed courage. That's what this is about. Follow along with me as I read. Hear the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to, to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, to the... Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it. To the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There is a lot in this passage, far more than we can unpack in the few minutes that stands before us. 
But this is what I want. This is what I want to grapple with in this text. I want you to see and understand. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be equipped. I want you to be prepared by understanding and seeing four truths about courage. Four steps that you must take if you are going to answer the difficulties we all face and will continue to face, no doubt, in the days ahead. Four steps of courage. What does courage look like? How do I act courageously? Where does courage come from? Where do I go to find it? Why do I need it? The answers are here in this text. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. The first step of biblical courage is essentially one word, problems. This passage is permeated with problems. These two verses I'm going to show you, problems bleed through this. And the first step you must see is that Joshua, if he is going to have biblical courage, he must recognize the place of problems. He must recognize the place of problems. Verse 1 says, after the death of Moses. Moses is dead. Moses is gone. The great Moses. Look at the next phrase. The servant of the Lord. That title for Moses is a title of honor. It's actually a title that is only used of three people and the nation of Israel. That's it, through the whole Bible. And it's used of Moses three or four times more than anyone else. It's used of Joshua at the end of this book, the end of the book of Joshua. It's used of Moses, I think, 14 times within the book. It's used of Moses, I think, 18 times or 20 times in the Scriptures. This is a title that's describing Moses as a marvelous man, a, a phenomenal leader. It's showing to us, Moses, the great man of God, is dead. Listen, Joshua, as the new leader, he faces some serious problems, some massive problems. Guess what? The first one, there is a massive leadership void that he must fill. Moses, the great servant of the Lord, is dead. Now look at the text. And the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, there is an interplay going on between these descriptions. The great man Moses is dead, and we have his aide, his assistant, his intern is with us. This description between these two men is given for a reason. It's to heighten the desperation that Joshua faced. If you think I'm, uh, uh, I'm kidding, just consider for a moment in nine verses God has to command him to be strong and courageous. Why? Because he's scared. And if you think this isn't a reality that permeated the people, look across the page at verse 17, and you'll see that the people, after Joshua charges them, verse 17 of chapter 1, they say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Now look at what they say. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Uh, we don't know. We're hopeful we think he's going to be with you. You've been with him since youth, but we're not sure. Listen, massive leadership void he must fill. 
Not only that, look at this other problem. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, get up, arise, go over this Jordan. Not only was there a massive leadership void, there was an insurmountable land barrier that he is now told to cross. The Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River normally is not that large of a river. Maybe, you know, only 30 yards at times. In its normal course, it's a normal river like we would have around here. Yet at flood stage, it becomes a raging river. Overflows its banks, spills out into the whole valley and covers it. That's the time in which he was commanded to cross. It's at this time. Not only that, he has an innumerable amount of people to cross with him. Now, I can cross a river. I can cross a pretty large river if I need to. Give me enough time, I'll figure out a way. But if you, if you tell me that I have to take my six-month-old son, my wife, my two daughters, and my six-year-old boy, oh man, I got issues. Imagine two million people. This is a, this is a massive problem. A tremendous difficulty. But it gets greater than that. Look at what it says. He says, cross over this Jordan and you and all this people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Oh, wait a minute. He not only has to cross the river, he has to go and conquer a land. A fortified land. A heavily fortified land. That had about 31 kings that were military mites, if you will. They were heavily armored. They were military Militarily trained. They were fortified in their cities. And Israel is ultimately nothing more than a bunch of Bedouins. Listen, Joshua, he faced some difficulties. He faced some massive difficulties. And what he needed to do first was he needed to recognize the place of his problems. He needed to see not only the reality of his problems, but who was ultimately controlling his problems. He needed to see his problems, but not focus on his problems. Dear loved ones, there is a direct correlation to our world today. We are facing insurmountable problems. There is a leadership void across the churches. There is a necessity to cross into a land and take the gospel into a dark world. Every one of you... Work, no doubt, in a, in a place, in a hostile environment at times, if not daily. What will you do? Will you focus on your problems to the point of fear? Or will you recognize the place of your problems? You see, Joshua, Joshua needed to understand, first of all, that the call to courage is inseparably linked to problems. The very reality of courage demands crisis. And so God is calling him to courage because he's in the face of problems. You can't have one without the other. And this call to courage is not just for Joshua. It permeates the scriptures. All throughout the scriptures, we are commanded to be strong, to not fear, to stand firm, to not turn back. And the first step is to understand the place of our problems. Our problems are inseparably linked to courage. Problems, suffering, trials are the soil through which courage springs. You will never demonstrate courage. You will never have to be provoked to be a courageous man as a father if you don't travel through times of hardship, through times of problems. 
It's then and only then that courage is manifested into your life or the lack thereof is shown to be. Courage is inseparably linked to crisis, to problems. Not only that, problems must be expected. Problems must be expected. Listen, everything has changed, yet nothing has changed. Problems, perils, persecutions are nothing new. Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble. Be not discouraged. I've overcome the world. Jesus said, as they have hated me, so they will hate you. The gospel itself is a, is a calling of trouble. Jesus says, take up your cross and lose your life for me. I don't know about you, how you define that, but that sounds pretty perilous. That sounds pretty costly. That sounds pretty treacherous. Problems are nothing new. They must be expected. Paul told the Philippian church that we have been appointed, we have been granted to suffer for the name of Christ. Paul wrote a letter to timid Timothy who was struggling with the same exact thing we are. Looking at his problems and facing them and being overcome by fear. And Paul writes a whole letter, 2 Timothy, for the purpose to strengthen him. And he says, Timothy, fear not, be strong, but understand that everyone who desires to live a godly life in this age will suffer. Listen, problems must be expected. Why is that, why is that important? Here's why. Because myself included, as we look at our world, what is our natural inclination? The same thing we're told not to have in verse 9. Frightened and dismayed. If you are overcome by the problems we face, you will be frightened and dismayed. You will be disillusioned. You'll be the deer in the headlights. What do we do? No, you must recognize your problems. You must expect problems. You must expect difficulties. But not only that, you must face them. I love in the text how Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, get up and go. You must face it. He doesn't tell him how to go over. He doesn't tell him where to go over. He just says, go. It's time to move. The barrier is there. You must move. You must go. I love the fact that Moses, my servant, is dead and God speaks. Listen, it doesn't matter. God's, God's fidelity, His truthfulness, His veracity, His faithfulness, the character of God does not evaporate with a funeral of a godly man. God does not stop living and moving when Moses stopped breathing. That's what God is showing him. Moses, my servant, is dead. I know. Get up and go. I'm still here. Move forward. Don't stop. Problems must be faced. Problems must be dealt with. We must not turn away. We must not shrink back. The church itself is ultimately on a problem-solving mission. Jesus Christ came into the world to what? To seek and save sinners. He was the ultimate description of a problem solver. We are left here to take the answer to the world's problems. We have it. The gospel. It changes everything. And He's given it to us. But we must not shrink back in the face of difficulties. Problems are also, Joshua learns, under the sovereign hand of God. Why? Why does God command him to go now? Moses has just died. The river's at flood stage. The people have just literally stopped crying. They've been in 30 days of mourning for Moses. And God says, go now. Uh, Lord, shouldn't we have like a meeting? Get some of the leaders together. Let's develop a plan. Shouldn't we uh, wait till the river subsides? You know, it's 
March, April, you know, just you know, a month and a half, and you know, we could set, throw some rocks out there, and we can build a bridge. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, we, we're engineers. We're, we, can, we can do this. Why now? Listen to me. It's exactly when God wanted it. Because when the difficulties are the greatest, it's, it's, at that point, it's at that point that God's glory is shown to be the highest. It's at that very moment that God wants to di- display Himself faithful. Go back later and look at chapter 3, and that's exactly what God tells him. He's facing the Jordan, raging, no bridge, no answer. God says, okay, now I will exalt you before the people. Now everyone will look and see that I am with you. Why? Because I'm going to part the waters. And not only that, Joshua looks to the people and says, now you will see that the same God that brought you out of Egypt is going to go before you into this land and conquer these people. You see, the difficulties were actually a blessing. They were actually tools in the hand of God to encourage the people, to display His glory. Dear loved ones, we are facing difficulties. We are, we are facing potential problems. You know. Who knows what's going to happen? God only in His providence. But I'll tell you what, the, the forecast looks bleak. You know it. And yet at the same time, this could be the greatest days in the life of the church. Because the greater the problem, the greater the opportunity. The greater the issue, the greater the the persecution. Whatever the Lord designed and allows to come, it will be for us a time to show Him faithful, to display His glory, to take the power of His Word to a world like never before. Maybe, just maybe, like Joshua The divine timetable of history is happening right now. And the players on the stage of history are who they are for that very reason. And you are a part of it. Father, how will you raise your son in a world that is going to grow to to highlight an effeminate man? Will you raise men? I love 1 Corinthians 16 when... Paul charges the Corinthian church and he tells them, act like men. Guess what the word is? Courage. Even in that day, an illustration of courage was a man. We're losing that in our culture. But we better not lose it in the church. Girls, who are you going to look to? Mom, are you going to raise daughters that are going to live for the glory of God in modesty and in humility? Because our world is not going to do it. They're going to be inundated. They're going to be buffeted. Listen, it's going to take courage. And you better know the place of problems because you're going to have them. You better know the place of problems. First step in courage. First step in courage. Recognize the place of problems. Look at verse 3. He moves on from the problems to the promises. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses... From the wilderness, and he goes on with the description. You know what you're going to see in this text? The promises of God. God comes to Moses, or comes to Joshua, excuse me, and he says, Okay, you got some problems here. Moses is dead, rivers wide, the people are strong. Guess what? You're not going to go alone. He gives him three very encouraging promises, and he says, I'm going to go with you. The first one, The first one deals with leadership. The first promise you see even there in verses 3 and 4 deal with 
this reality. God promises Joshua, I will be your sovereign leader. I will sovereignly go before you in the land. Look at the end of verse 2. And I don't want you to miss this. He says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land I am about to give them. That's how it reads in the Hebrew. It's a process. I've started, but I'm not finished. I'm about to give them. I'm, I'm, I'm in process here. Okay, it's not done. Look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will, future, tread upon, past tense, I have given them. Done deal. Listen, what God is declaring in this passage is the reality of His sovereignty, His sovereign leadership. He says, listen, Joshua, the land that you're going, that you haven't seen for about 40 years, which has no doubt changed a bunch, He says, don't worry, I've been there. Matter of fact, let me, let me explain it to you. You're going to have this. You're going to go, look at verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Listen, the specifics scream of God's sovereignty. He has been there. It is done. In his mind, it is guaranteed. It is finished. And he tells Joshua, I will go with you. I will be your sovereign leader. What did Joshua need? Moses, my servant, is dead. He needs a leader. He needs a strong leader. He needs a sovereign leader. He needs one with authority, one that understands, one that knows. He's got one, God himself. Not only that, he does not only promise, I will be your sovereign leader. Look at verse 5. He says, I will be your powerful protector. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This, this promise is about protection. The first one was about sovereign leadership. This one is about powerful protection. He says, no one, no man shall be able to stand before you. That word means to resist, to come against you. No one will be able to overtake you, Joshua. This is, in every way, a personal promise as well. The two verses ahead were plural pronouns. You, all the people. This, singular. He's speaking directly to Joshua here. Because Joshua knew. He was a military man. He knew where he was heading. Remember, he was one of the spies. He saw the land. He saw the giants. He saw the fortified cities. Hence the reason why he was struggling. He was scared. And guess what God says? Don't worry. No one's going to be able to stand before you. I will be your powerful protector. It's power. Look, no one will be able to stand before you. How? All the days of your life. This isn't whimsical. This is faithful. No one will be able to stand all of your life. This is powerful protection. Just to illustrate how powerful, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Moses was a powerful leader because God was personally with him. He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Those words are, are, are pregnant with meaning. The word leave there it literally has the connotation of releasing. It, it has the idea that you're in the hand of someone. Imagine like your child. And I'm walking with my son Christian. And just about anywhere in public we go, I grab his hand so that he doesn't run out in the road or whatever it is that we're doing. And I grab him if we're on a busy street and I... And I'm protecting him. And when he says, I will not leave you, it's the idea of releasing him. Releasing, that protection is gone. 
You see this illustration in chapter 10 with the Gibeonites and the, and the false bad treaty they made with Joshua. And they used the same exact word except for it's often translated, do not release your hand, your hand of protection from us. That word for forsaken is the word abandon. In the midst of battle, Joshua, God says, I will not abandon you. I will not let you go. I will be your powerful protector. And then the last promise, look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. This is a promise of sufficient provision. He says, listen, Joshua, I will not only sovereignly lead you, powerfully protect you, but I will sufficiently supply your needs. I will sufficiently equip you for the task I'm calling you to do. He says, verse 6, be strong and courageous for you, Joshua. This is interesting. You shall cause, you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This most assuredly speaks to the, to the ending of the book of Joshua, where Joshua has the monumental task of distributing the land. A difficult task. A, a one that would scare any leader. And yet God says, no, no. When you get there, I will help you cross sovereign leadership. I will help you conquer powerful protector. And I will help you distribute sufficient provider. I will give you what you need. When you need it, Joshua, trust me. Dear loved ones, listen to me. Everything has changed, yet nothing has changed. We stand on the precipice of the unknown. We don't know what's coming, but it surely looks like it could be bad. We better prepare. And what do we need now more than ever? We need a sovereign leader We need a powerful protector. We need a sufficient provider. And guess what? We have that in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign leader, the firstborn from the dead, who has conquered the grave, sin, and death. He has gone before us into the the fires of crucifixion so that we don't have to. He is the firstborn, the first of many to come. He is our guarantee. He has been to the land. He is there now, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on our behalf. He knows the way. And if we follow Him, we will be there. What do we need? A powerful protector. He has promised the same exact thing in the New Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not let you go. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a powerful protector. We have a sufficient provider. All of your needs will be met according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Listen, dear loved ones, we we may face who knows the, the depth of the difficulties, but it will be hard. But rest assured, The second step of courage is not only to recognize the place of problem, but it is to trust in God's promises. Everything has changed, yet nothing has changed. As it was for Joshua, so it is for us today. He moves from promises to a priority. The priority of God's word. Look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law of Moses. This section, this section is the pinnacle of this paragraph, so to speak, of this story. 
He has transitioned from the promises to what is in every way the priority for Joshua. He says, Joshua, this is it right here. Everything I've told you, okay. But if you don't do this right here, it's all for naught. You you will lose it all. He says, you see it in the text in verse 7, only for emphasis, to grab attention, only be strong and very courageous. It would be better translated resolute because it's not talking about now facing an army. It's talking about obeying God's word. Be determined, be strong, firm, be stubborn in a good way. Do not let go of God's word. Do not stop following God's word. That's what he tells him. Courage comes ultimately from knowing and doing God's word. Look at the text. It's all about doing. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Joshua needed to see that his success hinged on his submission to the word. How he handled the word of God would dictate ultimately his response and the ramifications of that response to the difficulties. See, God says, it's not about knowing, simply. Twice in this text, it's about doing. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, memorize, ruminate. You shall talk to yourself constantly the word. You shall read it. In, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew culture, they would do this aloud. They would walk around just, just muttering the word. That's what the, that's what the Hebrew word literally means, to mutter. And he says, you must meditate on it day and night. Okay, I can do that. No, that's not the, that's not the reason. That's not the purpose. That's the means to the purpose, the means to the goal, the means to the end. What? So that you might do according to all that is written in it. You see it? Knowing and doing. Knowing and doing. Knowing and doing. That was his life. And to the level that he obeyed and followed God's word would be to the level that God would bless. And isn't that the sad reality of Israel? Isn't that the story we see time and time again? That they rejected God's word. They disobeyed God's word. They would not follow God's word. And what happened? Peril after peril. Disaster after disaster. Exile. And what does Paul tell us? These things are examples for us that we may learn. Listen, everything has changed. Nothing has changed. The way we face the difficulties of our culture, the chaos that will, that will no doubt inundate our lives at multiple levels is the same. We must recognize the place of problems. We must trust in God's promises. But most importantly, most assuredly, we must obey God's word. It is God's word that we must be true to. The church is the pillar and buttress of truth. That is one of the main reasons the church is here. It is, the, it is a proclaimer and defender of truth and all that is in it. Every believer is part of that. Your life is to display the truth of God. And how are you going to know that truth and display that truth if you're not meditating on that truth? Listen to me, dear loved ones. Do not sit here and so deceive yourselves. As, Je- as James says, 
that you can merely be a hearer of the word and not a doer also. Listen, same reality in New Testament. Don't simply think you can fill your ears with the word of God and not fill your heart and your hands with it as well. Because here's the reality. Look across the page later and here's what you will find. The Israelites said, all that God has commanded us, we will do. All that the Lord has told us, we will do. We will follow him. But did they? No. I submit to you, just as it was with Joshua, so it is with us. To the level that we know and do the word of God will be to the depth and the stability of our courage. Do not sit here this morning and you don't, and you don't know beans from buckshot in the word of God. And you say, I will do that. I will stand. Listen, take heed lest you fall. Stand on what? You don't know and you're not doing. God's word says, you must obey the word of God. More than knowing, doing. It must saturate your life. That is a step of courage. That is a a phenomenal step of preparation for perils to come. Our children must see it. Our sons must follow it. And how are they going to do that, Dad, if they don't see it in our lives? Mom, how are they going to do that if they don't see you on your knees? How are they going to know that if you don't show them and teach them that this right here is it? And just as it was for Israel, oh my goodness, this was it. This is what God is saying. This is all you need. Follow this book. Do not turn from the left or to the right. What stands before us? A a Supreme Court that's going to redefine life, redefine marriage, redefine Christianity, redefine whatever they want. But they're never going to redefine this. And this is a sufficient word. This is our guide. This is it. We better not waver. We better not turn to cultural capitulation or doctrinal deviation. We better stay the course on the road by how? Having courage. Courage to face fear with faith. A determined, resolute, decisive decision that says, I will not shrink. I will not turn back. I will not relent in knowing and doing God's word. That's what Joshua needed. That's what we need. Lastly, look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This narrative, this story has moved from problems. God has been so encouraging to give Joshua promises. He has been very clear as he has shown the priority of his word. And he sums it all together. He culminates it really with presence. He talks about the reality of his presence. He says, Joshua, listen to me. You have nothing to fear. He heightens what he says by adding to it. You do not need to be frightened or terrified. Be strong and courageous. Why, Joshua? I'll tell you why. Because I will go with you. My presence will go with you. My presence, the power, the supremacy, the sufficiency of me, the God of all the earth. I will go with you and be your God. Listen. Fourth, final step of courage. You must rest in God's presence. You must live in God's presence. You must must immerse yourself in the reality of God's presence, God's glory. How do you do that? In His Word, knowing and doing, seeking Him, finding Him, tasting Him, longing for Him, loving Him. 
following him. I will be with you, Joshua. That is exactly what Moses said in Exodus 34. It's a great passage. You should look at it later. The Israelites had just sinned with the golden calf. And God is about, he's already killed a couple thousand because of their sin. And and God is angry. He actually says, I'm going to wipe the whole nation out. and I'm going to start a new one with you, Moses. And Moses says, man, don't do that, Lord. And then God says, okay, I'm going to send you guys on ahead, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, whoa, 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 wait, Lord. If you don't go with us, don't send us out. If your presence is not with us, then what makes us different than everyone else on the face of the earth? Moses says, is it not, is it not your presence that makes us different? Listen, dear loved ones. I wonder, as our world watches us even more now through a microscope, as our world turns to look at churches and says, hmm, what's going on over there? I wonder, are they going to see the presence of God in our lives? Are they going to see the power of God in our lives as we repent from sin and turn away from the wicked deeds of the flesh and live in holiness and godliness? Are they going to see dads and moms resolute in their, in their humble, loving, yet purposeful care of their children? Are they going to see children respecting their parents and loving their parents? Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Is that what they're going to see? Or are they going to see, fast forward, rewind, the world in a small building? The same thing all over again. Listen, what do we need We need to recognize the problems we face. We need to see them rightfully. We need to trust in the promises of God wholeheartedly. We need to follow God's word completely, relentlessly, never waver. And we need to rest, live for, long for the presence of God in our lives in growing Fashions as we know Him more, as we grow into the image of Christ every day. That's what we need. That is four steps of courage. You have those steps in your life and growing exponential realities. You will be a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, marked by courage that can face the fears of our world in faith and know that God will see that you prosper. You succeed, not financially. That's not what the text is talking about. What that means is you will do all that God has given for you to do. You will succeed. Everything has changed, loved ones. And yet nothing has changed. Our response must be the same as it always was. Courage. The tools that encourage, that motivate and provoke our courage are the same. A good, clear mindset. A right understanding of God's promises. Listen, God's promises were never, were never given to be a sedative. Ever. God's promises were always to be a stimulus. We're not to sit on our laurels because God has promised. We're to move, act, and live as God's people. God's word was given to us because it's our sufficient guide. And God has promised I will go with you. Oh, have you forgotten Matthew 28? The commission of the church? What does he say? 
I have all authority in heaven and earth. I am the God of all the earth. I am sovereign over all. No one can stay my hand. Therefore, go into the utter darkness of the world. Do not waver. Do not shrink. Take my word and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and teach them not just to know it, but to do it. And be not afraid. Why? Because, lo, I will go with you wherever you go. Loved ones, everything has changed. Yet nothing has changed. Be encouraged. Find courage in your life through these the word of God this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the clarity of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will penetrate our hearts now. Move among us. You know who needs convicting and you know who needs encouraging. You know who needs converting, Father. Do your work, I pray, as only you can. Take these truths that we have seen. Move us, shape us, make us to be men of God women of God who will not falter in our faith, who will not move one square inch from all that you have called us to be and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.